This is the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. And here we go, Bob Olin joining us here on a Tuesday, the 30th of January, with temperatures in the upper 30s today, 40s tomorrow. We can start planting, what, pretty quick, right, Bob? <laughs> Maybe snow peas or uh, <laughs> iceberg lettuce or something like that, but uh, right. you're right, uh, Kind of a real unusual winter we've had so far, huh? Absolutely, and it's going to continue. It looks like at least through the next uh, week or so. Yeah, I, I've been told that uh, we get into mid to late February, we yeah. might revert back to some average temperatures, and uh, <laughs> that we might want to watch because yeah. we're melting snow pretty fast here, and yeah. uh, things that you've covered or we're planning on that snow being a good insulating blanket may not mm-hmm. be there, so there may need a, another opportunity here to cover some things up a little bit because I don't think we're through this yet, but it's uh, it's really remarkable. You know, uh, I think uh, that the weather is going to be a topic of conversation for the rest of our lives as, as these extremes right. continue to uh, move along here. Quite remarkable. We're going to be doing a little bit of discussion about that. We've got some spring educational programs coming up, uh, one here in Duluth on the 16th of March and 28th of March up in Mount Iron, but we are going to address some of these issues and uh, take a little look at uh, what this means. You know, uh, it's kind of hard to, to know going forward. I mean, this has been extraordinarily winter, obviously. It's tough and to plan would, for because we don't know what it's going to do, I guess, it, from one season well, to the next. You really don't, and it's been uh, the extremes uh, is been the challenges, and I think what we're going to take a look at, and some of my thoughts are we're going to divide up the growing season. We're going to anticipate the possibility of a, a warm early spring, always with that caveat that you could get a frost, so you don't want to jump too early on some of these things. And then uh, mid-season crops, and then the last several years we've had this late fall. We've always had a, uh, an early frost in there some point, so you got to be ready for that and prepared for that, but then anticipating that you can get some good uh, fall production, we've got a few crops that just do beautifully in the fall when temperatures get just a little cooler. So we're going to uh, embrace it, as the term I'm using, embrace uh, these some of these climate extremes, be ready to go with some supplemental irrigation or water if you need it because it has gotten dry. Uh, make sure you got good drainage there so that if it does get wet, because we've had, we've had these extremes last Last year's growing season was a classic where, of course, we came from record snowfall, and we've got record uh, shortfall in snow this year, but record snowfall and then uh, record drought conditions, and then uh, things were really very, very dry. Then we hit September, and we had record rains in September, and we turned out to have kind of an average year, Dave, even with all of those extremes that goes into the record books as as about average with moisture above average, even though we didn't get the moisture that we really needed uh, during the growing season. So... You kind of have to be ready, I think, for just a little bit of everything here, Dave. Yeah, you got record rain, too, in December, which is kind of weird. That's obvious when it's supposed to snow. It ended up raining most of the month, so that was a record yeah, as well. Was, yeah, now, now we're yeah. dry again, and we don't have any precipitation in the forecast for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's just hard to uh, hard to fathom a little bit. But mm-hmm. the interesting thing, as I've said to people, is we are far north, of course, and with that, uh, during the summer growing months, we get more sunlight than they do other places farther south, so we're, we've got plenty of sun, uh, long days, and uh, cooler daytime, cooler evening temperatures, uh, so these are actually some pretty good growing conditions, and uh, we had some good results last year. If you stuck it out and you managed to avoid uh, some of the problems, you had a little additional moisture during the heat of the year, and then uh, you got through that first frost in the fall. 
uh, we had a pretty good growing season. So I think, uh, you know, it's going to be, for us at least, it may not be all bad going forward. And uh, I think that uh, we're going to be taking a look at the possibility of some newer crops that we've been growing with some of this weather that's changing on us, Dave. Uh, the snow that we got last year apparently is happening this year in Alaska. They just topped 100 inches in Anchorage, Alaska this year, which is close to a record for them, or I guess above average anyway for this time of year. Well, that's really fascinating. And, you know, we have quite an Alaskan, uh, Minnesota, northern Minnesota connection. Mm-hmm. I know that uh, a lot of families, a lot of my friends still are up there that uh, <laughs> moved up during the pipeline era. And, uh I visited a couple times, and what really amazed me was how dry and arid uh, their production area is. That they've got very really? limited amount of good agricultural land, but uh, uh, plenty of plenty of moisture. But they they're really quite of arid, uh, dry climate, uh, particularly in the interior, and that surprised me a little bit. So they they had to be very concerned about irrigation in some areas where they, you know, we take things like power. For granted here and, and the infrastructure we have, they don't have that in the interior. So they got some nice areas for production, but they really needed to supplement with uh, diesel-fired uh, irrigation pumps and other things to get some water out to some of their production areas. So that that surprised me a little bit. And, and the fact that typically along the coast, of course, it's pretty moderate, pretty mild during the winter months. Uh, interior, of course, gets good and cold, but. Uh, Oftentimes, uh, we've got uh, colder temperatures here, and we get more snow typically here than they would in Alaska. But that's changed a little bit right now, uh, according to your report there, Dave. Yeah, and uh, like you said, we're probably going to get back to more normal-like temperatures in a couple of weeks. But the thing is, those normal temperatures are going up as each week goes by, so that's good too, I guess. Well, you're absolutely right. The longer we hang on to this, Mm -hmm. really the shorter the winter becomes. And um, it's probably going to be uh, a remarkably short winter. But once again, as you pointed out earlier, we really can't depend on anything. No. I'd say to people, get ready to go in mid-March for planting. <laughs> Getting ready is not a bad idea. Sure. But we might, we might be able to get some nice spring crops in an April where we've had snow on the ground through uh, mid-May in many cases mm-hmm. uh, the last couple of years. So we're due for an early spring. And uh, if I if I was a betting guy, I think I'd probably uh, bet on things being a little warmer and getting ready to go early this year. Now, that being said, who knows what's going to happen, yeah. right, Dave? Well, sometimes you can get started with some plants indoors, right, and kind of get ready to put them out once, once the weather gets better. Yeah, you certainly can, and we start a lot from seed, of course. Okay. And, uh, one of the um, one of the challenges is these are typically our warm season crops that we're starting. So we're wow. starting tomatoes and peppers. And we still are vulnerable to frost and cooler temperatures. So those yeah. are the type of crops that you really don't want to set out too early. You know, even if you get them out early, we don't get a freeze or a frost. Uh, those colder temperatures, they like warm soils, like warm air. Their day temperatures, night temperatures, and uh, they tend to get a little bit stunted. They harden off if we get them too early, even if they don't frost them back. So many cases, I think staying with your regular uh, planting schedule is probably going to be a good idea, even if we have an an early spring. Now, if we have an early spring, then I think we want to focus on some of the the frost-resistant types of materials, like uh, lettuce would be a good example. You, you You could even start some lettuce seed indoors with the idea of transplanting it out early. And oftentimes, if the plants are mature, they can take a certainly a light frost there. Uh, spinach is a great uh, salad crop, which we can start early. It likes the cooler temperatures of and the expanding daylight of early spring. So spinach is really a very, very nice green to get started. But that's not frost 
tolerant at all. So you're going to have to be ready with some kind of covering material. So I think uh, the word of the wise is be ready for just about anything, but take <laughs> advantage of uh, whatever the season may give to us, Dave. Well, if you do container gardens, I suppose you could have those indoors all the time if you need to. Well, I'll tell you, it's pretty interesting. I see a lot of people that uh, have containers, and they've yeah. got them in the old little little red wagons, so <laughs> they could pull them in the garage or pull them someplace ah. where they could be protected or they could drop uh, drop cheesecloth or something over the top if you do get a frost. So I see people move them in and out, and uh, literally in the, those old uh, red, what was it, the red flyer wagons that we used to have. Yeah, radio flyer. Red, yep. Radio flyer. There mm-hmm. you got it. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's a uh, neat idea. Yeah, I think I think that works really pretty well for people. So you can uh, take advantage of uh, the sunlight. You know, we do get a lot of uh, early night sun, and sun is what drives everything. Mm-hmm. And we're beginning to see now uh, some growth on indoor house plants that are responding uh, to this increasing day length. Uh, what uh, what's our sunrise and sunset now about, Dave? Do you have those? Seven thirty-six is sunrise this morning, and it won't set until after five o'clock. Five o eight tonight. Yeah, now is the time when uh, I've noticed that, and uh, along with everyone else, I'm sure that those evenings are are going brighter for longer, and I think that uh, that day length begins to expand relatively quickly at this particular time. So we got we got a few things we can uh, now start thinking about doing. Uh, we can uh, we get another chance. We can talk a little bit about if you want to propagate house plants. In other words, you want to take some cuttings. If you want to take some cuttings from your geraniums. You know, we really don't like to, to do that too early. But coming here into February, which is very close, it's a couple of days away. Right. And uh, coming into February, that growth is what stimulates, or that expanding day length is what stimulates growth. And uh, you could start thinking about uh, taking a few of these cuttings, and we we can go into that a little bit and uh, okay. share some thoughts and ideas with you there as well. All right, and we'll find out, I guess, on Friday what kind of a spring we're going to have since Friday would be Groundhog Day, and, of course, that would be uh, the final decision on when spring starts. <laughs> of course. Yeah. None of us uh, none of us know uh, no. what's coming with the weather except that Groundhog does. <laughs> so. All right, we'll be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show. It's 927 at KDAL. And we're back more of the Bob Olin Show as we approach 929 now on this Tuesday morning. Bob, we're going to be warm tomorrow in the 40s, but in southern Minnesota, they're talking the 50s, maybe even close to 60. And, boy, you got to wonder if uh, the trees are going to be a little confused down there. <laughs> yeah, we really don't want those <laughs> temperatures because that can certainly happen. Yeah, I mean, I'm not too concerned about upper 30s, lower 40s, but right. you get 50s and 60s, you start, you know, all these... Both the vegetative buds on, let's use apple tree as an example, you've got uh, buds for your leaves and buds for your flowers, and they're all set up in the fall of the year. They hold nice and tight. They've got uh, mechanisms to remain dormant, and then, of course, they begin to break coming into the spring. And uh, if, if these warmer temperatures hit in the 50s and 60s, uh, then uh, those buds can break early, and we're assuming that these uh, warm temperatures don't continue, and then yeah. we get them frosted back. You know, this has been always a challenge for us uh, in growing uh, apricots. I'll use as a, as an example. We've got some early maturing apricots. We've got some winter hardy rootstock out there for a lot of these apricots, but uh, oftentimes it's the the bloom that breaks early, and then we get a frost and knocks the flower bloom off. And without flowers, you're not going to get the fruit. So that's yeah. Always been the take. Uh, apples a little more resistant to that. The reason that apples really are 
not native to the area, not a table eating apple, but certainly the new cultivars and varieties we have are, are very well adapted to this area, and we rarely see a situation where we get blossom drop unless you've got these extreme, and we've seen this, extreme warm temperatures mid-winter, and 40s are not extreme, but certainly 50s and 60s could be. Uh, then we get that bud break and uh, colder temperatures, and we can lose a, a crop that your leaves tend to be more resistant. Flower buds, of course, are going to be uh, very vulnerable to this type of phenomenon. So I would not want to be uh, farther south when mm. temperature's too warm. You're going to enjoy it, but it's going to be kind of hard on those plants because I'm assuming that winter is going to return here. I think that's a rare <laughs> assumption, not Dave. I would think, but then you never know the way the things have been going. It's hard to tell at this point. Well, yeah, we we never really do know, but uh, end of January, mid-February, that's a little early to, to run into <laughs> springtime temperatures, that's right. for sure. Well, let's so anyway, see. You want to talk indoor plants a little bit? We can, just a little bit. I want to talk just a little bit. We mentioned, I mentioned geraniums. Geraniums are, okay. you know, extremely popular. Uh, it's an annual. It's not a uh, not a perennial. Yeah, most and people I know, uh, us included, just kind of throw those things away at the end of the year. Well, and that's probably the easiest thing to do and the most reliable thing to do. <laughs> uh, you know, one of the definitions, perennials have got some kind of a storage mechanism there. They've got, uh, uh, you know, they've got a bulb or they've got a, a real thick, thick, fleshy root wow. that stores carbohydrates. It takes them through the winter. Everything kind of sits there, and then they break in the spring. Geraniums really don't have that. But you can, in fact, overwinter them. Uh, and they stay alive. We don't want to get them growing, but they stay alive with the, the carbohydrate that's stored actually in the stem tissue. So real quickly, by way of review, because people do like to keep them over, uh, you've got a couple of options there. You can uh, you can try if you've got them in a container or in a uh, perhaps in a hanging basket. More and more geraniums are being actually developed for hanging basket use mm-hmm. where the plants are a little bit more compact and have kind of this trailing form so they trail over the edge and bloomsdale trail over the edge so i think some of those are newer varieties are going to be uh, really well adapted to container and and hanging basket growth so anyway you got them in a container you got them in a basket if you can keep them growing you don't want them actively growing get a good sunny weather window where it's cooler it's the intense temperatures because we're not going to get real active growth here. We're just going to keep that plant green and keep it alive. So watering it minimally, you can overwinter them that way if you've got that kind of a location. Now, and I'll, I'll get back to this in a moment, you have a couple of other options. You In the fall, if you like, you can take some cuttings right before the frost. You can take some cuttings at that point and try to get some roots on them and grow them out of smaller plants. And then we're going to keep those alive through the winter. Or some people will actually uh, pull the entire plant, say we've got them planted in the ground or you've got them in a container, don't want to bring the container in, heavy container with a lot of soil. You can actually pull that plant out of the soil. You can shake it and get uh, most of the soil off the roots, but keeping that root ball intact, you don't want to cut any of the roots off. Uh, You just want to remove some of the excess soil. And then I've seen people hang them upside down uh, in uh, root cellar, situations and they overwinter or you can put them in paper bags cool temperatures is key there Uh, so we're going to just keep that material alive it's kind of in a state of suspended animation and then we're going to start potting those up again and we'd be doing that potting probably a little bit later maybe a month from now when we hit uh, march one so there are ways to overwinter geraniums if you did grow them out right now in other words you've got them in a container 
or hanging basket. You've been uh, keeping them alive. The tissue is still green, and you've got cool conditions. If you have warm conditions, they tend to get real long and leggy as they try to grow and stretch for the light. But you've got cooler conditions. The plant is relatively compact. You want to cut them back, and you can start cutting them back, cutting that, that farthermost tissue back to another uh, bud or a, what we call a leaf junction or a leaf axle on the stem. So we're going to tr- give them a good haircut. We're going to prune them back. That can be done here in uh, mid-February is probably the best time. You could do it now as we're beginning to get uh, days a little bit longer. And then you're going to get some new buds that are going to form on the lower portion of the plant that remains. And you'll get leaf tissue, and then ultimately you're going to get uh, flowering. But this whole process does delay the flowering. It revigorates the plant, so you're going to get good growth. And that good growth will be very evident as we move our way through the spring. And by the time we get to about mid-May or early June, when you may want to set these plants out, you're going to have some, some good, vigorous vegetative growth. Now those flower buds still have to set up, so the bloom is delayed a little bit, and you're going to get that bloom a little bit later in the season. You know, the technique I like to use is I like to buy some new geranium material every year from our local greenhouses because they're going to be uh, starting cuttings or they're going to be bringing in cuttings and they're going to be growing them out under ideal conditions. They will flower earlier. So what I buy from the local greenhouses and pot up or buy in a container will give me the the early bloom. That bloom will come early. And then what I've retained and and, uh, kept over from last year those plants that have cut back will actually give me bloom a little bit later in the in the year, and they look real nice. And I'm constantly adding new material because, again, they are annuals. They're going to burn out eventually. They're not going to be with you forever. So uh, you're constantly introducing new material. And by going out and buying new material, you actually get to take advantage of some of the newer varieties, some of which, Dave, are absolutely spectacular. Really? You see coming down the line here. Very, very colorful. As a matter of fact, we've got a geranium that uh, was an All-American national winner. And as I explained in the past, the All-American Selection Committee goes all the way back into the 30s. And um, they try a lot, a lot of new material that's being introduced both by commercial breeders as well as by um, major universities throughout the world. Put them out in trial. They take a look at them. The trial gardens are actually being monitored very closely by uh, by professionals, professional horticulturists and uh then they uh, they bring all their notes together and and they make a selection process every year, and this year we do have a geranium that's one of the All American selections. It's an interesting one called the. There's a firm in the Netherlands called the Big Easy, and they've introduced uh, geraniums. Uh, it's a very large uh, commercial uh, horticultural company with thousands of employees, and they got global distribution, but a great big breeding program. And uh, they've got one called the, the Big Easy Pink Batik, a very, very unique pink. It's got this this batik uh, appearance, kind of striated with pink and white, and I think it's very well named. Uh, it has this trailing habit. I think it's going to work out real nicely in a, in a hanging basket, and it is beautiful. I don't know how much our commercial people locally are going to be able to access that, but I think uh, there's a geranium that I think is definitely going to catch people's attention, and it's a national winner this year, so it, it means it performs well both in the north and the south, east and west, mm-hmm. under warmer conditions. And you, for hanging basket, you oftentimes need to have plant material that can take warmer conditions. we got to be very conscious and cognizant of the fact that they need water. They can get very warm. There's not a lot of uh, typical soil in a hanging basket, so you have to 
you have to have plants that will tolerate a little more heat, and the roots have to tolerate a little more heat. And apparently, uh, this is a variety because uh, this firm is specializing now in some of the uh, geraniums for hanging baskets. So we're kind of looking forward to that one that's called the Big Easy Pink Batik. And it's uh, very, very well-named and one of the All-American selections that I think is going to be very popular going forward, Dave. You're talking uh, geraniums. Are there other annuals that you can keep around for the next year? Well, that's that's a real big one. Most of the others material yeah. that we're going to be uh, saving has got some kind of a root uh, root structure, a corm or a bulb or a thick fleshy mm-hmm. root of one type or another that makes it a little easier to save. But I think geranium is one of the number one annual plants that people grow, sure. and it's the one that uh, people do try to save. So once again, yes, you definitely can save them, but uh, cooler temperatures, minimal light if you're going to keep them uh, alive, if you're just uh, pulling them out and storing them. Uh, you can store them dark. You don't want them to grow. You just want them to stay alive, and then we, we pot things up. So very doable, mm-hmm. but uh, don't expect uh, the real vigorous early season flowering from those. They'll flower just a little bit later for you. So get two, right. three seasons out of them. That adds some value as well. You bet. All right, we'll take another break and be right back and talk, I guess, indoor uh, plants next. All right, Bob, let's talk uh, indoor plants for a while. As they're getting, uh, I guess, uh, getting ready to restart again with the longer days. Well, they are, and uh, you can see it on your house plants, uh, particularly those that might be in a sunny southern window that we're getting new growth. In that new growth, again, if you would like to propagate some of these, uh, we've got several techniques, and uh, maybe some of the easiest techniques are to take. Let's use something like our holiday cactus. We've got Thanksgiving, Christmas, as well as Easter cacti. Again, uh, they're noted for the fact that they've got these very, very broad stems. This is not uh, leaf material out there. These are actually thickened stems. Uh, They're very attractive. Uh, They've done a lot of breeding work with them. There's a lot of colors, particularly on the Christmas cacti. And this would be the time of year if you would just want to take some of those uh, stem segments off that look like leaves. I think you need a good uh, rooting media, and a rooting media uh, features the fact that it, it's going to well drain. There's going to be no fertility there because we're going to be establishing very young root tissue in the process, and all fertilizers uh, have a salt basis to them, and you can get a little too much there, and uh, this can be damaging some of the emerging roots. So very simple. You want to start with a good uh, a good media. Personally, I like to use a combination of both vermiculite and perlite. Vermiculite is an expanded mica, kind of an expanded fool's gold. It tends to hold a little water. Perlite is an expanded soda ash, a white material, and get horticultural grade of both of these because vermiculite has been used for a lot of uh, materials, including insulation, and those are typically too large of materials. So you want something that's uh, horticultural grade, mix them 50-50, and you get both water retention and water drainage, and uh, that's all you need for uh, a rooting media. We're going to start, and we're going to we're gonna, let's use the Christmas cactus as an example. We're going to take some of these leaf segments. We're going to let them harden off just a little bit and touch them in what we call ripped hormone. There's a rooting hormone. These are available online. They're available at our local lawn and garden shops, and it just helps stimulate root development off that stem tissue. So you really got stem tissue. We're going to stimulate root growth. And uh, we're going to first soak our media, and then we're going to stick these uh, just easily, maybe um, a quarter of an inch into the media. And uh, then we're going to cover, and you may not even need it. There's such a thick, uh, what we call glabrous or waxy leaf there that they retain the moisture. But you've got to get uh, that uh, stem, or the uh, plant tissue has to remain alive until we can grow some roots and transport 
actively transport some water. So we want a higher humidity environment. For most people, if you're going to try this in your heated home, we've got the lower humidities, and that can dry out the top portion you're, you're cutting before you get a chance to establish roots. So we want to create a high humidity environment, and the easiest way to do that uh, is really to just pull a plastic wrap over the top, clear, of course, but never in direct sunlight because it gets very, very hot, and that can be damaging. So cool, but uh, some uh, poly control or poly top there so that we increase the amount of relative humidity that's available. Then, you know, it's remarkable. Uh, give them, um, you're going to give them a little bit of time, but you can uh, count on maybe four, six weeks from now, you're going to get a good root system there. Take a uh, tongue depressor or a popsicle stick from time to time, get in there and just uh, see if those roots are in fact developing. And then once you've got a real nice root system, then we can pot them up into a more complete potting soil mix. Potting soil mix will have uh, good drainage. They're typically based on uh, a peat material. And then uh, some slow-release fertility is there as, that the plant will need this as it continues to grow. So uh, it's a fun project. Yeah. Uh, we're looking for uh, inexpensive things maybe you could do for yourself, for your own entertainment in the middle of winter or for the kids. <laughs> Uh, they certainly love this, and uh, we'll go back to those Christmas cacti. If you do take some of these, you pot them up. Uh, they make wonderful gifts. I know many people actually, of course, I live kind of in this plant world, that uh, actually start this process right now with the idea that they're going to give them to friends, relatives, neighbors uh, during the Thanksgiving time or wow. Christmas. So if you start now, you can have a nice plant that's available and beginning to set uh, buds and makes kind of a nice and extremely inexpensive gifts. So this is all fun. Yep. Every one of these houseplants got a little different technique because we've got, uh, mm -hmm. in this case, this is a stem uh, cutting we're using. We can have leaf cuttings. We can have bud cuttings, uh, all different ways depending on the uh, the type of plant. And I will just mention our master gardeners are going to be doing a, a session, a workshop session on March 16th on houseplant propagation. And in the past, I know they're starting materials. People will get to... Uh, pot up some of their own materials and i've seen some of those a year later here they did this last year and they look they look beautiful so if you want some hands-on expertise and the ability to access uh some more house plants uh that's on march 16th it's going to be one of the workshop sessions it's going to be lots of lots of fun right. so it's something that i wouldn't hesitate to try even if you don't feel real comfortable uh, remember those things, good rooting media, uh, something that drains well, 50% vermiculite, 50% perlite. Now you can use just a peat mix with no fertility. That can be used as well. You could use a sand. That could be used as well. But uh, you want to keep it moist. So some of these rooting media are really the best. The key is good drainage, no fertility, taking your cuttings, and then uh, improving the relative humidity. So you've got a nice environment where it's moist until those roots begin to form and uh, pull some poly over the top, and then make sure you keep it out of the direct sunlight. So those are kind of the keys. Try it with any number of houseplants. And, uh, right. It's a fun activity when you when you finally get in there uh, six weeks from now, you pry those little plants up, and you get a nice root ball underneath that you can pot up. Uh, these are uh, simple pleasures of yeah. life, Dave, that come from uh, houseplants midwinter like this. You'll be a proud parent when those little things start to grow. <laughs> Well, that's true. Actually, yeah. <laughs> uh, that is a very nice aspect of uh, of this uh, type of activity as mm -hmm. things begin to grow, particularly when we've got some winter left for us here. Uh, it, it's really a lot of fun as, right. as things begin to take off coming into the spring. we got to head to the phone. Somebody's been waiting here to get on the line. Hi, who's this? Oh, dear. 
Barb from Duluth. Go ahead, Barb. Um, several years ago, my daughter gave me a little orchid, and it's in a little uh, pot, and it says to add an ice cube every week, which I do, and the thing is growing a little bit, but nothing ever much happens to it. What should I do with it? Well, I think, uh, what kind of light do you have available? It's in the kitchen with off, there's no direct light. No direct light. Uh, have we got good exposure? Have you got some east light at least? Yes. If yeah, we need the east or some sun uh, from the south, I think that uh, they can be very slow growing. And I think just retaining that, doing what you're doing, the ice cube is just to give it a little bit of moisture that it needs. Uh, you might want to wait just a little bit. Have you supplied any kind of nutrient to it, a, yes. a fertilizer of any type? Yes, I did add a little bit, but it's been a while. Been a while. Let's... Uh, Let's think about the waiting maybe another two weeks, and then you can use uh, just use a balanced uh, uh, miracle Grow. They like acidic conditions, but uh, use uh, half strength. So in other words, if you've, you're buying a product, a water-soluble fertilizer, and uh, they call for a tablespoon per gallon of water, uh, let's cut that back significantly, particularly or cut it back to maybe a quarter of a a tablespoon or a teaspoon in a gallon of water, and then uh, supplying that to it with with bright light. Orchids can be a little tricky, and again, I'll mention one of our workshop sessions on March 16th at the Spring Extravaganza here in Duluth at the Depot. We have an orchid expert, Robert Queen, that's going to be joining us, and uh, he has a great deal of expertise in growing orchids, and he's going to do a workshop session on that. They're a little fussy in terms of their growth requirements as well as in terms of the... Uh, uh, the types of nutrients you add. So he's really going to be the expert, and he'll spend about 45 minutes uh, working with you. A lot of people get orchids, and then they really uh, have get the same kind of issues that you're dealing with, getting them to grow on just a little bit in our household environments. But he certainly is going to have uh, several tips on that. So that's March 16th. He is the expert, and uh, he'll be with us for one of those workshop sessions. Okay, thank you. Yeah, thanks for the call. How, uh, how do we uh, register for that workshop, Bob? Well, it's not even up online oh, okay. yet, uh, but as soon as we <laughs> get early. online, we'll give you, we'll give you, a, yeah, we're a little early yet here at the end of January, but uh, we will, we've always had good turnout. We can only handle about 200 people, but it will be another very good day that uh, mm-hmm. is going to feature a lot of different uh, speakers on different topics. Nice. And uh, vegetable as well as the flowering, and I like to put together some hands-on sessions. I'll just tease you again with it. Uh, a lot of people are very interested in natives and pollinator gardens mm-hmm. and uh, the native pollinating insects. So we're going to have one session on the pollinating plants, designing the pollinating garden, followed up by making um, bee houses that are accommodative in the right kinds of materials for our native bees. Because native bees are the big pollinators. Uh, you know, the honeybees get all the credit, but really the work is done by these native bees. And they need habitat and they need properly designed uh, houses and much of what's sold commercially and i've seen them at mass outlets everywhere are really the wrong kind of housing uh for these bees so you're going to have a chance to make some and and take some from natural material so one of the uh 12 or 13 workshop sessions we're going to have as well we'll give you more details coming on the line just hold that date march uh, mm-hmm. march 16th it'll be early but maybe it's going to be a good time to have an early <laughs> session right. like this day. yeah the way the weather's going you just never know uh, bee yeah, houses. Now, that's new and on me. I didn't realize they lived in houses. Well, <laughs> they've got their own houses, of course. Right. And, uh, one, of, one of the keys on uh, 
on uh, habitat for some of the native bees is to leave areas undisturbed and typically they will they'll either burrow and we've got uh, hundreds of actually native bee species they're very small and diminutive but if you take a look at uh, who's doing the pollinating on your apple tree dave on that harrelson you'll see these very small native bees uh that are doing all the all the work for you there but they're either going to be in the ground or they're typically going to be in some hollow stem material and it's another reason not to uh, necessarily rototill everything up in the fall, let some of this weedy material grow. So they will overwinter there. And just to facilitate that process, you can construct, properly construct uh, a tube structures that they will actually, and put them out in the garden, and these will actually uh, make it a little easier for them to find a home through the winter. All right. so we're going to, be doing, going to be doing some of that, going to be both making them as well as showing people how to uh, save stems uh, for their use. So what I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to... Uh, get people to plant the pollinating flowers and then try to provide a good habitat for the actual pollinators that are doing the work for us. It's going to be a fun session. Hopefully the bees know where the houses are. Maybe little signs would be good for for rent or something. For for rent, yeah, Yeah. inexpensive. uh, What do they call that? Affordable housing. Absolutely. We're going to to try to make it easier for them, for sure. All right, we'll take another break and do a quick look at the weather, and then we'll be right back for the final portion of the Bob Olin Show. And the final portion of the Bob Olin Show is underway. Bob, your uh, Christmas tree is still out in the yard, and the birds are enjoying it, or how's it doing? Yeah, yeah, they are. It is. Good. Uh, although the snowbank it went into, and oh. <laughs> I think it's a little, little tipping, tipping over at this oh, boy. time. So <laughs> we have to actually stick it in the ground. Yeah, I'm going to have to plant it, yes. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little unusual, but nonetheless, uh, yeah, we are looking forward uh, certainly to the spring coming, uh, but not too early, Dave. All right. Well, it's uh, plenty of time yet to get on the uh, catalogs and check out what it is you want in your garden this year. Yeah, on that uh, note, uh, we got a lot of catalogs. I've mm-hmm. completed a uh, 2024 suggested variety list for both vegetables ah. and for fruits, and I think that's been uh, printed or pretty close to that at least. Mm-hmm. So if people are interested, there's a charge for that for the bailing and the printing, but that it's relatively nominal. But that'll be available for people with lots of uh, references in terms of uh, mail order sources as well as local sources to get some of the seeds. So Great. always something always something new coming, and we're looking forward to actually trialing a lot of new material yeah. uh, this year as well. So I think the hobby is really moving along, a lot of interest. Uh, certainly the industry is responding well based on all the new introductions I'm seeing and all the breeding work that's being done throughout the world. So I think uh, I think we're good to go for another good gardening year for sure, Dave. Yeah, the Northland is counting on you, Bob, to try out all these uh, various uh, plants so they know who what to plant next year, what works and what well, doesn't. I like to try. I like yeah. to try a lot of them, and uh, you know, I tell people <laughs> whatever you really like, whatever works for you. I'm not going to argue, but we're going to at least give you some ideas of things that uh, do perform well for us this this far north. We like to get them in the trials for at least a couple of years, and then add them to the variety list if they uh, really look good to us. All right, very good. Bob, as usual, thank you so much, and we'll catch you next week. It'll be uh, February already. It will, Dave, so have a good week. <laughs> Enjoy the warm weather. Uh, be careful of that. Uh, use sunscreen if necessary. Uh, yeah, right. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, Bob. Catch you next Tuesday. Oh, we got another call. I don't know if we have time. But we'll, let's see. Hi. Uh, hi, who's this? You got a real quick question. Yes, uh, propagating amaryllis bulbs. Oh, okay. Go, Bob. Oh, amaryllis will be real quick. Good. Let them grow out as soon as that uh, that bulb begins to uh, flower. Once the flower is spent, cut it off. 
Uh, you're going to take them, find the warmest uh, place, a sunny southern exposure. They're frost sensitive. We're not going to set them outside early, but uh, just let them grow, uh, provide some fertility for them. Then we shut them down. We shut them down in about uh, late September, October, and they go dormant for about 60 days, and then you can add, add water again. So during the growing season, we're forming the flowering bud uh, that will emerge uh, later in the year around Christmas time when you add water to it again. Boy, that's real fast, but uh, yeah. basically, <laughs> yeah, we, uh, they didn't give me much time. Maybe we could talk about that again. Really, really a fun, fun yeah. plant, and if, if you've got bloom, bloom right now, just let it go, cut it down, and grow that plant out, and then we're going to shut it down coming in the fall. Okay. Shutting down, does that mean cutting off and not watering at all? Uh, shutting down, by that I mean we're just going to cut back all the water. We're going to let that plant, that bulb go completely dormant. So what we're trying to do in the growing season is we're trying to get enough growth and extra sugar so we can form a flowering bud that will be down in that bud. So you're going to just let it go dormant. You're going to let those leaves fall back. You're going to come right back to just a bulb. And the key thing there is, uh, uh, you know, just starving it for moisture and letting it go dormant. Okay. So good active right, growth you. as much yeah, as you can get the until we hit the fall. Okay. Good job, Bob. You got that in in a, in a hurry, and uh, we got plenty of time left. You can say goodbye now. Well, no, much time we had there because the amaryllis, uh, they are beautiful. Yeah. And I even this year, I gave several bulbs to people that they're beginning to grow out now. But they're kind of magical. Again, the flower bulb is down, the flower bud is down in the bulb. So all mm. you got to do is add water. It's like an instant plant, and the strap leaves come up, and the flowering uh, stalk comes up, and they're they're kind of a no brainer. Uh, one when you buy the bulb, and uh, it's one of my favorite Christmas gifts. Uh, Sounds like my kind of plant, a no-brainer. Thanks, Bob. We'll catch you next Tuesday. <laughs> Have a good day. The Bob Olin Show has been brought to you by Dan's Garden Center, located inside Dan's Feed Bin on Hammond Avenue in Superior, and by Matilda's Dog Bakery and Pet Nutrition Center in Lakeside across from the Lake Walk. News, weather, sports, 610 and FM 103.9 KDAL.